the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am here every dang week of the season bringing you new stories of hope and encouragement. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. This is episode four of season six, and that's episode 82 overall. Today, we are sitting down with a dude, you guys. It is Fun to talk to adoptive dads and get their take on this adoption life and feature the cool stuff they're learning and doing alongside us mamas, and that's what we're going to do today. So our dude guest today is Brendan Sinnott, founder and CEO of Pact, a clothing company that strives to be above board on literally everything, quality, ethics, humanity, safety, and everything in between. And before we move into my interview with Brendan, I want to ask you guys to give your friends and family and random followers on social media the gift of me. Well, really the gift of my podcast, but you get it. I would just really appreciate it if you could share your favorite part of the podcast on all your socials. If you've shared before, you know that my finger is quick on the trigger to reshare what you share on my stories or just wherever. You guys are awesome. And I assume that you hang out with awesome people and I want to get to know them too. So with all of that said, let's go talk to Brendan Simmons. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am thrilled to death to be talking to my guest today. Um, Brendan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No problem. You are joining a very small dudes club on the Adoptive Mom Podcast, so congratulations. Uh, thank you. I live with, uh, my wife is an adoptive mom, or she's she's led that prep charge for us, so I feel like I... I understand a little bit about it. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, are you excited to see your picture with all of my pink branding? That'll be the real test of the dude club. <laughs> well, I, one of our favorite new shirts at Pact is my pink polo shirt. So I, I don't mind. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Well, speaking of Pact, so why don't you tell us just, first of all, just introduce us to yourself and your family. Yeah. Um, my name is Brendan. I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I lived here about for about 12 years. Um, I'm a dad. I have four kids, um, with my wife, Kelly. Um, two of them are biological. Two of them are adopted. Um, I like to work. I've been an entrepreneur in my past. I've um, started a company called bare naked granola, uh, evil burritos, little secrets, candy. I am loving you pet food, all stuff that you can find in like whole foods or natural grocery stores, natural organic brands. Um, and then what I'm working on now is is kind of taking all those learnings and working on Pact, which is an apparel business. So when I wake up every day, I put my kids in organic clothes. They wear them to school. They feel good. They come home. They take showers and use organic towels. And then they sleep in our organic sheets. And I'm really proud of that. I've always tried to make stuff that I love for myself and I love for my family and friends. That's awesome. And I'm really excited to dig into, you know, how what you do in your professional life affects us as adoptive families. Um, but I'd love to hear your adoption stories first, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have four kids. The oldest is seven and six. Those are those kids are both biological. And then we've got two adopted 
kids that are three and two, a little girl named Mazzy and a little boy named Desmond, um, who are awesome. And I, I got, first got experienced with adoption. Um, my parents split when I was young and then my dad remarried. Uh, and when I was like, you know, in my late teens, uh, they adopted a girl from China. So my, my half sister is, um, from adopted from China. And I remember growing up and like not really understanding it and, and you know, it, kind of, it was kind of somewhat foreign and I didn't spend a huge amount of time with them. I was kind of in such a different life place. Um, but that was my first space. And then, you know, you start to just love her like a sister. It's no different, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> love her like family. Uh, and then I met my wife, Kelly. Um, and when we got together, um, we kind of fell in love immediately. And within like the first, you know, 24 hours, went on three dates and talked about how we wanted four or five kids and said how, she, you know, she might not be able to have kids. And I was like, I, I can build a family with you by adoption. I don't, I'll do it anyway. I just want a family with you. Um, and so we ended up getting married. Um, we ended up getting pregnant really quickly. It wasn't an issue for her, um, in terms of her, uh, what was she had from a health standpoint. Um, so we had two kids biologically very quickly and we always wanted a larger family and we decided to build the rest of our family, um, via adoption. Um, and we adopted two kids. Um, they're both, we got them as newborns. Um, we both got them from the state of Indiana. Um, and we've, and through that process have, you know, it took us probably, you know, four years to do, we didn't get the first baby for like a year and a half into it. Um, and then we had, we actually just last week tried to adopt our fifth child, um, got matched with the little baby girl, spent three days with her in the hospital. Um, and then we had to end up, end up not, not going through with the adoption, which was heartbreaking and part of the process, but we've had three failed adoptions for two adoptive babies. Um, but I love them to death and it's a beautiful way, sustainable way to go build your family. It's like, it's, it's special. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, you know, I, we don't have a lot of domestic infant adoption stories on the podcast. Um, and so I'm really interested, you know, you said you had three failed adoptions. Um, what was the, what was the process like going through that and, and knowing just, um, I don't know, just what you do and how you, you care for people in your professional life. And you're, you're, you're dealing with birth moms that you don't know, but you get to know in such an intimate way. So what is that like for you having successful adoptions and failed adoptions? Yeah. So I, I can't take credit for this. I'm going to share a lot of what my wife has taught me about it. Um, she, she's had such great intuition on how to navigate the process. Um, and you know, for her, she, um, wants to go build relationships with these birth moms mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately we think our kids are, are going to want to have a conversation with them at some point and we want that to be as healthy and productive a conversation as they want when they want it no pressure from us but we want to make sure that door is open for them or try to make try to make that door open for them um when when that happens you know going through domestic adoption my my first time doing it i was like super scared Right. Because you're like, this birth mom is only a couple states away. What if she comes? Mm-hmm. You know, what if she wants the baby back. And there's like, you know, these fears that you have going through for the first time um, from a process standpoint. Uh, but it's, 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 you know, going through it my second and third and fourth time. I never even thought twice about that piece of it. You're just, you're, you're after you go through it once, you're confident in the legal process that it's going to be your baby and that it's going to be something that you can make part of your family and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, 
So it, it's, it, there's, I mean, they, it goes, it's so deep, right? <laughs> you yeah. Go one and be like, what was my learning with each one? Um, <laughs> it, it, and it's, and it's huge. My, my biggest learning with this last time is, is kind of around expectations. So once we found this agency in Indiana that the, we, we got matched and kind of the process went pretty quickly. It was like two, three, four months each time. Um, and so we, we, this year we had started our adoption process. We filed our paperwork in January, kind of expecting the baby to come in the first quarter in a sense would be matched mm-hmm. in that time frame. Um, and it didn't happen until last week. Um, and my wife and I are getting older. And so it's like, you know, the, the expectation of like, Oh, we thought this was going to happen quickly. And we made life decisions around that. Yeah, around, around not going on vacations and how we, you know, we moved our houses and just like you make these big decisions to make sure you can take it all in or, or do the right thing for your family. And um, we, we plan too much for it to happen. Um, and then that just creates anxiety. And yeah. that was my learning from the last one. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to touch on something you talked about, which is that, you know, you really your wife, especially you were saying really digs into these, these birth moms and their lives and, um, and caring for her and being pro-life in that sense, you know, caring for all the lives, the babies and the birth moms. And it sounds like you guys really normalize adoption in your home. And that's something I'm super passionate about is saying, you know, like, yeah, they probably will have questions when they're older and that's okay. We want to normalize that. So what is, what is a way that you guys normalize adoption in your home now to make it a safe environment for your kids to ask those questions? Yeah. So when we adopted, we just, so we got a call on last Monday and they're like, the baby was born this morning. Do you want the baby? The birth mom picked you. So fly out there. My wife flew out right away and met the baby in the hospital. And then I flew out with our four kids Oh my gosh! The, the next day, because we want them to be part of the process of meeting this new baby. Yeah. And, um, in our, in our house. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked our boys, like no babies are born from moms. Right. And so there's a birth mama and we talk about the birth mama all the time. We, you know, our, our youngest daughter is, or our, our oldest adopted child's three and a, three, three and a half. Her name's Mazzy. She's like amazing. Um, and we talk about her birth mama right in front of her and part of conversation. It's just not something that has any sort of stigma yeah. at all. It's just something that it is and it's beautiful and your birth mama is a hero for giving birth to you and allowing you to hurt and sharing you with our family and allowing us, allowing us to have you as part of our family. We, you know, we try to make it's, it's what's such a gift for somebody to give you a child. Absolutely. We treat it that way. Um, and we sell, we don't overly celebrate it, but we want to, we want to cherish that choice that that person made and try to show them in the best possible light so that, um, it's just normal and part of it's part of our birth story overall. I love that. I, I love it so much. And actually, so this is a really great segue into the professional side of what you do. Um, you know, we're, we're, you're talking about sustainable living and ethical and um, ethical practices and your purchasing and, and how you um, care for your family. And I think that that, you know, a big part of what we talk about on the podcast is how can we do that for birth moms too? How can they not become the forgotten part of the adoption triad? And so I think that it sounds like you're doing such a great job. How do you think that that, uh, I don't know, transfers into your professional life as well? Because it seems like it's really all encompassing. You know, you're talking about birth moms, you're talking about them in a good light, you're, you're making sure that they're being taken care of um, with the agency that you chose. And that seems to be just a, a, an all consuming life thing for you, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I just, I've always believed when, when I was going to college, um, I went to college. My first year in college was the first year like high speed internet got put in dorms. So I was a freshman in college in high speed internet. And that was when Napster, this music service, came up on the internet. And you could basically get any song that you wanted, whatever you wanted, through this tool. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is transparency, <laughs> right? Like that is connectivity. And that is ultimately what I fell in love with about that. And it made me fall in love with music. And I, I just always, I believe like consumers, like I've always tried to build brands and build companies. Like I would have, I was a friend, like I'm not perfect. My businesses are not perfect. We are trying to do the best that we can whenever we can. And we're going to be totally honest with you about that and be mm -hmm. transparent and make sure that you understand why we're making decisions and don't have any secrets and and own the stuff that we're both proud of and own the stuff that we're not proud of and that we're working on and like that's what i want with a friendship that's what i want with my family you know in terms of that sort of relationship so it's it's to me you know when i built my businesses it's always trying to build kind of a a, a persona extension of who i want to be friends with and what i value in them um and so it's it's we try to do the same thing with adoptive parents i try to do in all parts of my life, I don't, right? There's stuff that I, sh that I sh you know, shell up from and don't address and that uh, people from the outside are probably like, you need to get your S together <laughs> on that, but I'm not willing to do it and I can't do it at that moment. And I might not even be able to acknowledge it because I'm human, right? So, um, but it's, I, I try to do, try to take that same approach with what we build from a brand standpoint because I feel like brands for, 50 years where it would control you through mass marketing. You had no control over what you saw. They just forced it down your throats all the time. Said, you have to take this from us. You have to take this messaging. And, and that's what Napster proved. They, you know, they flipped the music industry on it. And I kind of just took that same inspiration and tried to flip the food industry and now the apparel industry with that idea that consumers own the brands, consumers own the experience, put them first. If they're first, how do you talk to them? Yeah. Well, and I, so the only, so I live in Walmart country, right? Bentonville area. Um, and so the only brand that I'm super familiar with is bare naked granola, which I, when I got the email about that, I was like, oh yeah, I know bare naked granola. It's delicious. Awesome. So tell me about, I mean, we obviously know about that. What is the new thing that you're doing? Yeah. So I, I work now on, on packs. So I, I built like four or five natural organic food brands right. in the pet food space, in the candy space, in the um, frozen food space, snack space, a bunch of stuff. And like, I always, I always like started to work on businesses, like, because I like the white space and I like the idea of like taking on a big industry and improving that there's a business there that they need to pay attention to because that's what ultimately makes change. Yeah. Right. You, you, you don't get, we got Kellogg's to change their idea on natural foods and what they put on their products by getting them to buy us. Yeah. Right. Like that, that was that that's my change. That's my impact. Um, overall. So now I actually run a company called Pact, which is an apparel business. So I, I, I spent a lot of time in food, but looked at apparel and I was like, we wear this every day. This is a hundred percent cotton. Like this is, this is, I wear cotton on my body pretty much every day, whether it's my underwear, my socks, my t-shirts, my jeans. I sleep in cotton when I go to bed at night in my sheets. When I get out of the shower, I use cotton towels all over my body. I probably have cotton on my rugs, cotton on my 
um, sofas. So it's like, it is, it's truly the fabric of our lives. Um, and it's like a super toxic crop. So like 7% of the world's acreage that farms is farming cotton, but it uses like 25% of the chemicals that are being put into the ground. It's a super, super intensive crop to both um, that from a chemical standpoint, and then it also uses a ton of water. So we, I kind of did some research and started to think about it. And what I learned in food around what organic did around farming practices, treating the planet right, um, treating communities right, not having toxic chemicals as part of the process processing. Um, I took a lot of those same learnings that I had in the food space and applied it to cotton within the apparel space, all with the idea of like, I want to go engineer a solution so that that families can go buy organic cotton for their their closet can be as organic as their kitchen. Um, And they can do that pretty easily without actually spending that much more money. So, you know, most of our products are this price of Gap or J Crew. Yet it's 100% organic, 80% organic cotton, and we make it all in fair trade factories. Um, so that that's what I, I do now. I'm trying to get people, you know, I kind of want to be like the Hanes for the change generation, like the next generation of it. Hanes for the loom jockey, like what do those brands mean to the next generation of consumers? Like the same thing that, you know, Frosted Flakes means. Not, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's built around something that's false. And yeah. so we wanted to build something, or something around something that was kind of real about you know, the best ingredients make the best products and you know we treat the people that wear the products the same way that um we the people that make them you know we view them as equals hello again it's me who just got done talking interrupting myself to talk again You'll hear Brendan tell you about this later in the show, but I want to jump ahead of him and tell you guys about the amazing offer he is gifting you just for being an AMP listener. If you head to wearpacked.com, that's W-E-A-R, like wear, packed, P-A-C-T, dot com, and use the code ADOPTIONRULES, all one word, at checkout, you will get 25% off your order. And that's a lot, you guys. Most people do like 10% or 15%, but no. Brendan was feeling extra generous when we recorded, and I am taking full advantage. My favorite thing on the site is their women's sweatshirt. Y'all, it's like my favorite thing in the world, and I can't wait for laundry day so it's clean again and I can wear it again. So leave this episode playing on your podcast app and jump over to your browser to wearpacked.com and use the crap out of that 25% off discount code. Okay, back to the show. One thing that's really difficult about what you're doing, because I, I mean, it seems like the food industry is at least catching up. I won't say caught up, but at least there is a, a lot more awareness of what we're putting in our bodies now than there was, say, in the 90s. Um, but what you're doing is really hard, right? You're taking something that is largely invisible to, um, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. You know, you talked about transparency, you, you know, to the normal consumer, you're talking about something that's invisible. And it goes back to adoption when you were saying that there needs to be transparency in that line. Um, what what can't we see? You know, as as adoptive parents, we look at, you know, the, the life that international kids have in these orphanages or the foster care system. And those are things that we see and we've allowed ourselves to become aware of because we feel that calling to adopt. Um, but, you know, it's hard to it's hard to put the, the word calling on, you know, buying organic food. So what, what can't we see? Why is this, why does this matter to the normal everyday consumer? 
organic matters because it uses like 85% less water. And then if you buy organic clothing, you're not, there's no toxic medicals in the dye process. Yeah. Uh, toxic chemicals that are part of dyeing your apparel that then go into the, the, the water system. Um, the World Bank believes that 20% of industrial pollution worldwide comes from the fashion industry. 20% of the pollution worldwide comes from what you put on your body every day. Wow. Are we all wearing clothes? Who's wearing underwear? <laughs> Most of us. Hopefully everyone is raising their hands right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. but, but like, so we can all make an impact. Yeah. So that's why it matters. In the same way we looked at, we looked at our clothes, our food and said, Hey, who made this product? Where do the ingredients come from? Why do I believe those ingredients are better for me and going to make me healthier and make my family healthier and mm-hmm. make my community healthier and make my planet healthier? It's this, we want people to ask the same questions around their clothing um, and what they put on their body and what they live in every day. And clothing also, this is to me like the big like aha moment. Like we all wear clothing to say something about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that we start to say something about ourselves that matches what's on the inside, not just what's on the outside. Because I think most people on the inside want to make good choices and don't want to trash the planet and don't want to create waste. Um, so that's that's what I that's what I hope that's what we're working on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what you know, going back to that question, what what can't we see? You know, you mentioned uh, the factories and the ethical practices and those. You know, we obviously, as adoptive parents, we care a lot about children and how they're treated and all of that stuff. And and so, if we're looking at ethics in regards to human life, what can't we see there? What are you trying to fix there? Yeah, we um, so we partner with Fair Trade. Um, fair trades are relative. You might see fair trade coffee. You might see fair mm-hmm. trade chocolate. Um, sugar. There's a place, sugar, fair trade sugar. It's fair trade. There's, you know, if you go into Whole Foods, there's fair trade flowers. You go into Walmart, there's fair trade apples. There's fair trade avocados. Like it's, it's something that's prevalent in mm-hmm. most parts of the store. And what fair oh, and trade fish. is. I've heard fish is like a really big one that we're totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what fair trade does is they're a third party organization, just like kind of the USDA which certifies organic is a third party organization. And they go in and in order to be fair trade certified, you have to be paying living wage. You have to be treating women equally to men. You have to set up funds for the workers that your fair trade premium. So we pay a premium with every product that we buy that, that, that premium doesn't go to our factory. It goes into a fund that the workers are in control of investing on behalf of themselves. So if you, if you, some things that they might do is buy themselves bike helmets because they're all biking in busy Indian street, busy Indian cities getting to work and they want to be safe and they want to buy themselves bikes or they might buy themselves rain jackets or they might buy themselves cooking stoves because it's a certain season. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gives, it, it empowers the workers to, to invest the funds directly on behalf of themselves, um, as well as the fair working conditions. And we, all of our products are fair trade. So like everything we make is organic. Everything that we make is fair trade. To me, it's not like about having a hundred, a hundred different styles and being like, Oh, I got one organic line over here. Pay attention to it. It's like, this is the only way we do, we do business and we've been doing it for 10 years, which is why we can get it, make it so affordable to everybody. Yeah. Um, and so one thing I love and that you keep, it keeps coming up in what you're saying is that you 
<clears throat> you really seem to have a, a grasp on both ends. You know, you have the um, the big picture and then you bring it down to earth, which is something that so many entrepreneurs struggle with, right? They can see the 20,000 foot view, but they're like, why does this matter to, you know, each individual consumer? And it seems like you have, um, you know, mastered that in, in making it real for consumers. And one thing, so I heard in another interview with you that you really strive to make it easy for consumers to make good decisions. And I think that a lot of people who do what you do um, get frustrated when other people don't have the same passion that they do. Um, and like you said, I think that most people want to protect the planet. And I think if you were to ask someone like you like the planet, right, they would be like, Oh, sure. But you know, what are they doing every day to, to put that into action? Um, so what are, what are the things that you do to make it, um, easy on the consumer and to make making ethical decisions, making, um, healthy decisions for your family, something that is an everyday practice? I think that last word is it, right? Like I never want to ask you to do something. I never want to ask you to do something that is just for one day mm-hmm. and then ask you to do a different sustainable thing on day two and a different sustainable thing on day three and a different sustainable thing on, you know, day four. That's just like, it's too confusing. Our lives are too busy. It makes my head explode to even go that far from accounting standpoint. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't, it, it's too much. And so the way I, for me, I think about it, and this is just like the way I think about my life or if I, you know, or, or, or I, I want to do, I want to wake up and do one little thing or help people do one little thing that they can make a habit. Mm-hmm. And what's a habit? 22 days. You need to do something for 22 days to make something a habit. So for the next 22 days, from a sustainability standpoint, just make sure you don't run your water when you're brushing your teeth. And you know what? We're going to do it for the month of October. We're going to start this in October. And then in October, if you do it 22 out of the 30 days, good on you, right? Just get it going and do it consistently. And and that to me is what creates, you know, in some way, easy change. One of the slogans we throw around is like easy does it internally around change. It's like, how do we make it just something that you want to do, something that you can make part of you, something that you feel good about, something that doesn't tax you, mm-hmm. whether from a cost standpoint or from a time standpoint, um, and 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 help you push you down that line to 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 make it a habit. And that's from a from a branding and marketing standpoint, and all the things I've tried to work on. It's like you can't ask consumers to do too much. Like if you brand asking me to do too much, I won't do it. Right. right? Like, give me something that I can start on that is going to help us, you know, get things going and then be consistent on that and be supportive on that and be cool when I don't do it every day. <laughs> Still love me. Like, you know, like it's, I, I feel like that's, that's the, what I'm trying to make people feel as they're interacting with, with what we're doing. Um, you know, one of the other cool things that we do, which I'm really proud of is the average person. This is an amazing fact. The average person throws away like 82 pounds of clothing a year. Think about that. How many bags of clothing is that? And where is it going? Are you sending it to the landfill? Are you recycling it? Are you selling it? Are you giving it to somebody in need? Um, So we we do like a give back box program um, where every time we ship you a package, we'll give you a a envelope or a... a, uh, mailing address and a sticker and we'll, we'll get, we'll pay for the mailing to get your product to a, a somebody that needs it locally. 
Um, and so we, we try to just do stuff like that. Like you don't have to do it every time, but we're trying to make recycling your clothes or giving it to somebody in needs like really easy and painless. Um, and those are examples of stuff that we, we try to do. Wow. And I don't, I mean, you're right. It does feel overwhelming, but I think when you break it down piece by piece like that, um, it, it can be more doable. And that's something, you know, I, a few years ago I started buying all cruelty-free products for my house. And I felt really overwhelmed by that because cruelty-free, that's an issue in your cleaning products and your medicine and your food and your, uh, you know, cosmetics and everything. And I was like, that's too much. So just trying to take like one piece, like, okay, cleaning products, I'm going to do that first. So what, you know, when you're talking about organic clothing, you know, what, what is a step, you know, what is an easy place for someone to start? Um, I, we, we focused on underwear yeah. Because everybody, everybody has underwear and it's something that you kind of go through a lot. And there's, it's not like you buy underwear once every two years, except mm-hmm. most men. <laughs> Women buy more frequently. When you run out of clean underwear, then you just. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that's one way we, we do it. Um, and, you know, for, for us, I, I think making it easy is two things. Um, one, you got to make sure it fits your style and you believe in the quality of it. And mm-hmm. you're going to like love being in it. Like I love, this is my, this is a pack shirt. I love it. I've worn it like six times in two weeks. Like <laughs> it, has to, it has to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we need you to do, we need you to like know that you're going to love our product, that you're going to love the style. You're going to love the fit. You're going to love the quality. Um, because we, we're not going to ask you to sacrifice any of those things. Like yeah. you have to be able to still have those things. And then we're going to try to sell it to you at this, at the same price that you're buying it currently. So our price point is like the market that we're trying to serve is, you know, Gap, J. Crew type price points, but all organic, all fair trade. Um, and we can do that because we've been working on it for 10 years, longer than anybody else. We've been, been exclusively working on it. And then we sell it direct to consumer. So you go to our website and buy it. Um, we don't have kind of the middleman in the sense in between us. So we can allow you to invest in putting, you know, the, the, the cost of your product into the ingredients and the cost into the people that make it instead of the cost into some inefficient retail model or like a big celebrity spokesman sitting on top of it, taking a piece of every product. Right. Like we, we want, we want the money from the consumer to go to the people that are making it for the highest quality product possible. And that's what we try to engineer. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that um, cutting out that middleman and, and to pull it back to adoption, I think that we, you know, we want transparency in what we do in all facets of life. And I love that you, you know, you're you're tackling that in so many different areas. You know, you, you have adoption, you had food, you had, and now you're doing apparel. And I love that you're making that a lifestyle change, and you're trying to make it easy for others, which is huge. Because I mean, you know, as adoptive parents, we're or just parents in general, but as adoptive parents, we often have higher needs in our homes, and we're like, I don't need another thing to care about. Um, yeah. So making it easy is huge. You want people that got your back. Like yeah. that's what we want to build. And we want, we got your back in the closet. Like we'll, we'll, we'll help you figure that part out. I love that. Um, okay, cool. Are you uh, okay to answer some of these closing questions? Absolutely. Awesome. So taking you back to the beginning of this journey, the adoption journey, the, all of it, what do you wish you had known? Oh, uh, if someone were to look you in the eye and tell you. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had known how much fun it was going to be. Oh, I wish funny. I had. I wish I had like in terms of the joy you get around building your family, you get you get through the adoption process, right? And a year or two after it, it's so good. 
Yeah. It's so good. And while you're going through it, the uncertainty and then just the heaviness of, of, in, of including somebody new into your lifestyle and, and solving for all those things, I think is, is really hard stuff, but it gets so good. That's awesome. Um, okay. What do you wish you had done differently? Uh, I think I definitely wish I set my expectations differently. Every time I got into trouble with the process, it was around me having unrealistic expectations, something that was more about me and something that less objectively about the process. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's the piece where I get, you know, you get it a little bit wrong each time, right? <laughs> it's just how much wrong you get it each time. Yeah. Oh, that's the, that's a huge one for me too. I just like, I feel like I set myself up for failure by having completely different expectations than reality and making it about myself, which, you know, (laughs) never works out well. Yeah. It's hard not to. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. How did your tribe support you? The, your favorite way you felt supported through your processes? Oh, I, I think it was the immediate, um, with our close friends that we live here in Boulder um, just being like, I can't make, wait to meet this baby's name. And we would have a name for the baby and just them start to use their name with us and them immediately saying, like, I can't wait to meet them. Uh-huh. And, and you're so proud to bring this baby back to the people that you love the most and have them be there immediately when you get back. I love um, that. That's, that's huge. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, I always ask, what was the your least favorite way or the fa- the way that you felt hurt or misunderstood um, by your community? I, I can't say it's happened. You know, it, it's we, we got some questions actually from, um, you know, some family members just being like, why do you want to take that risk? Mm-hmm. And but that's just from an older generation, I think. Yeah. Um, a more conservative generation. Um, but you know, not, none of it, we there's so many adoptive families within our community, which is great. And I live in a progressive place that I think is okay with adoption and gets it. Um, and it's, it's, it's been good. We have, we haven't had much stuff. It'll be interesting. Like what I'm watching for is when our kids start to go to school and mm-hmm. they can start to talk about it. Yeah. And, and they get their first experience back from their peers using language around adoption that might be immature or unpracticed and the impact of that. Um, that's kind of what I'm waiting for with my, my daughter, who's three and a half over the next couple of years. Well, and hopefully, I mean, you know, talk about changing the face of, you know, things within our culture. I think that we're seeing such a change within adoption talk, even, you know, we adopted a teen and he would go to school and, you know, a way that kids tease each other is by saying that they're adopted and he had to be like, but I am adopted. And then they felt mortified. And I feel like that's kind of like using, you know, using, uh, what derogatory words that we've always used. And now we're like, Oh, we can't say, you know, the R word anymore. And I feel like it's becoming that, you know, when my younger son grows up, like that probably won't be a thing anymore. And I'm so grateful for that. I love that about the youth. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, okay. If you could sum it all up into one piece of, of advice or encouragement to, um, and I'm going to ask you to talk directly to adoptive dads because you are one, what would it be? Support your wife, um, trust her intuition, and she might not be the mom biologically of this baby, but she's still a mom. And so I would trust her. I love that. Um, okay, Brendan, where can we follow you and Pact, and where can we get ourselves one of those sweet t-shirts that you're wearing? 
Yeah, the uh, our, our website's wearpact.com, W-E-A-R-P-A-C-T.com. Um, and we have a big selection of stuff on there. We actually have a, 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 a offer for you all, for all adoptive families out there that are listening. Um, if you want to code adoption rules, um, you'll get 25% off your next, your first order. Um, so just go through the website, add it all to the cart and, and do adoption rules in the cart. And, um, we can get you, get you focused on getting your closet as organic as your kitchen. I love that. It can be done. It can be done just by doing organic cotton. Your your closet's like 70% (laughs) cotton. Just do organic cotton. Your whole closet will be organic. (laughs) Easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. Right. Um, Okay, and that's going to be in the show notes. And um, where can we follow you? Like, see cute pictures of your kids and stuff. Oh my goodness, I, I do. Inst- I, I don't do social media that much. What? So I'm so busy with my kids and so busy <laughs> trying to like build a business with my team that I don't. I don't do it too much. But I, uh, my my, I will. This, maybe this is encouraging and in, in time to start. Um, so I'll, I'll go do some content and B S Y N seven eight. Actually, I don't even know what my Instagram is. Okay, listeners, I will look it up and write yeah. it down for you guys. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, sorry about that. All right, Brendan, I'm super excited we got to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Adoption's great. Go do it. For sure. Go do it. Hey guys. Okay. So my episode with Brendan would usually end right now. And then we would go do a fun interview over for Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the adoptive mom. But as a special treat for you, I'm going to give you a little teaser interview um, with Brendan right here. And just so you know, over on Patreon, those are these those are extended. They're longer than this is going to be, but it's just kind of questions like this that are fun to answer and help us get to know the guest a little bit better. So let's get into that. All right, Brendan, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes, I'm ready for the lightning round. Okay. Um, taking it back to your Napster conversation earlier, what is the most embarrassing music you've ever owned? Oh man! Well, my my my, uh, oh, Rico Suave. <laughs> uh, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, but it was like my first concert. It was like him and CNC Music Factory. Oh my goodness! You like went and saw that with your eyeballs. Yeah, was, yeah, and it, because you see it as a kid, you're like Rico. And it's just like it was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I forget the guy's name. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Okay. Um, since you're an adoptive dad, what is your best dad joke or like the corniest thing you say to your kids? <laughs> um, it's probably like you're my number one Mazzy. You're my number one Desi. It's <laughs> like, you're just like putting the number one label on them and saying you're my number one with their name. And so that they're all the number ones. Like yeah. if it's like, I, I, to build that connection. I like that. It's like, yeah, with multiple kids. I mean, you know, my son, he's, he'll be like, you are the best mommy in the whole world. I'm like, you are the best four-year-old in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to spread out the love. <laughs> um, okay. What supply in your household is running low right now? What supply? Oh, the, um, the queso supply. Oh, that's a good one. We, we always have some, fresh queso 
and we ate it all late last night as I was finally connecting with my wife at 10 p.m. Yeah, that is how it works. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Um, okay. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom podcast.com. Thanks for joining us.